Well, let's start with this question tonight. <clears throat> Who invited you? Who invited you? I don't mean like that is a challenge to say you're at a party, we're not sure you're on the guest list, like who invited you? Instead, I mean as you think about your relationship with God, whether tonight you would call yourself a disciple of Jesus, um, maybe you're, you haven't made up your mind yet, maybe you're somewhere in process in between, who has played a part in inviting you to just take one step closer to him? Who's invited you to come see who he is and what he's all about. Chances are it's more than one person. Uh, I've got a long list. On that list is a family, the Hazel Grove family. They lived across from me when I was growing up, and they looked across our little street, and they saw uh, a confused, lost kid who needed to know Jesus. So they just invited me. They invited me first into their lives, to their dinner table, to the pool in the backyard, to go surfing on the weekend, and then eventually they invited me to church. They invited me to youth group. They invited me to, to church camp. Who invited you? You probably got a long list. Some of them you're related to. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles. Some of them uh, you're just friends with. Neighbors, roommates, coworkers. Some of them may be complete strangers, but they invited you. They invited you into the life they were living following Jesus, and then they invited you to church, to a group to a concert, to summer camp, to summer conference, to pancakes or synergy or some crazy thing that CSF was doing and you said yes and took a small step at a time. Here's what I want to notice from my journey and from yours tonight. People invite other people to come see about Jesus. We invite with our lives and our example and our love and our service and we invite with our words. That's not just what happened for you. It's not just what happened for me. It's actually what happened in the Bible. As Jesus traveled and taught and healed and spoke the good news about the kingdom of God that Delilah just read about, people would hear him and they would run and find others and say, you have to come see this guy. I'm not even sure who he is yet, but there's just something here that you need to experience. Here's just one example of that in John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the man whom Moses wrote about in his teachings and whom the prophets wrote about. He's Jesus, son of Joseph, from the city of Nazareth. Nathanael said to Philip, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Apparently Nazareth was a pretty rough place. Look at Philip's answer. What's he say? Come and what? Come and see. You come see for yourself who he is and what he's like, and maybe as we just sang, you might even end up deciding, man, he can have my heart, he can have my yes, he can have my all. It's what happened for me, it's probably what happened for many of you, it's what happened in the Bible, and it's actually what Jesus intended to have happen, which was only three years long, less than your college degree, and he got ready to leave the earth, he gathered his friends around whom he'd been pouring into for a few years, he'd been teaching and training, we, we would say discipling. And he basically took his mission and gave it to them. Matthew chapter 28 is one of the places that captures this. We often call it the Great Commission. And I heard somebody a couple years ago make the point that it's really our co-mission. It's Jesus sharing his mission with us. He says, look, I want you to start inviting other people into what I've done for and given to you. This is Matthew 28. When Jesus came near, he spoke to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's what I'm doing with my authority. 
I'm authorizing you to go invite. So wherever you go, or as you are going, other translations would say, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I've commanded you. And remember that I am always with you until the end of time. So somebody invited me. Somebody invited you. In the Bible, people invited other people. And Jesus basically said, just keep holding out the good news of the kingdom of God. Keep holding out my message and invite people to come and taste and see for themselves. Let me ask another question. I want you to pay close attention to your reaction as I ask it. So with all that said, who are you inviting? I mean, somebody did it for you. Who are you inviting? Now, if your first instinct is to kind of pop your neck or wring your hands or squirm or feel guilty, that's not my heart in asking the question. But I want to pay attention to that response because I think our hesitancy at times to tell others about Jesus, to tell them who he is and what we're discovering, even if we're still on the journey of making up our minds, our hesitancy often comes from fear. Are you guys tired of being afraid? Man, I'm tired of being afraid. So tonight, I want to go to a couple passages. We'll highlight some fears that may be holding me or you or us back from just saying to other people, man, I want you to meet Jesus because he's changing my life, and I think he would honestly do the same thing for you. So we're going to look at two passages and name a couple fears and highlight two truths that I believe to the depth of my soul that can empower us to go out and reach campus with the message that there is a Savior who loves them and is the answer to everything they need. Now, if we were talking about passages about evangelism is a Bible word we use for this or a Christian word we use for this. Um, there's lots of places in the New Testament we might turn. We might turn to the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, John 4. Beautiful passage. You should read it. Um, we're not going to do that tonight. Instead, we're going to go to the Old Testament. And you may be thinking, what in the world does the Old Testament have to do with Jesus? Everything. If you're in one of our core groups, we've been learning this semester that Jesus is all through the Old Testament. Right? It was always God's plan to send us his son. And so tonight, we're going to go to two stories in the Old Testament. They're honestly semi-obscure stories, but I think they're just incredibly cool and powerful. And they highlight both a potential fear that's keeping you from inviting somebody else and a couple powerful truths that could really set us free to go out and say to other people, man, you should come see for yourself this Jesus who is changing my life. Now, these stories are in the book of 2 Kings, and the first is in 2 Kings 6, the second is in 2 Kings 7. I'm not going to cover the whole story for the sake of time. You owe it to yourself to read these this week on your own. There's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, both these stories involve three characters. First, the nation of Israel, uh, the God's people in the Old Testament. Secondly, a neighboring nation called the nation of Aram, or the Arameans, who were at war with the nation of Israel. And third, an individual, a prophet named Elisha. He followed the prophet Elijah. A friend of mine and I were talking about this tonight. They go in alphabetical, then Elisha. And a prophet was simply somebody God spoke to and spoke and worked through. So two quick stories, two fears, two truths. And then the best part of the night, you'll get to hear from some of your friends who are sitting among you whom God has taught to invite others in. And they're basically going to tell you, look, if, if God can do, do this through me, he can definitely do it through you. 
Okay, first the stories. 2 Kings chapter 6. Whenever the king of Aram was fighting against Israel, he asked for advice from his officers about where they were to camp. So the man of God, that's Elisha, would send a message to the king of Israel, be careful not to go by that place. The Arameans, Arameans are hiding there. Then the king of Israel would send someone to the place that the man of God told him about. Elisha warned them so that they would be on their guard, and he did this repeatedly. Eventually, uh, let's see. We might be missing some verses there. Eventually, the king of Aram gets frustrated, and he says, Look, like, how is it that Israel always knows our plans? Like, which of you is like the spy on the inside? And one of them says, it's not us, it's Elisha. Whatever we say, God lets him hear, and he warns his people. And so if you look at the rest of 2 Kings chapter 6, the king says, all right, let's just get rid of Elisha. Like, it sounds easier to get rid of one person who's kind of gumming up my plans than to have to deal with the whole nation. So they find out that Elisha's in a city called Dothan, and the king says, great, I'm going to send a large fighting unit to Dothan. The next morning, the servant of Elisha, because he is kind of a partner with him in ministry, wakes up and looks out, and there outside the city gates is this large fighting unit. And he goes back and he says to Elisha, like, what in the world do we do with this? Like, there's a whole army here for us. Let me see if I can find where things landed in the slides tonight. Nope, that's not it. Hey, sometimes the slides are right, sometimes the slides aren't right, and that's okay. Here's the times we feel like it's all up to us, and we're way outnumbered. You ever feel like that? You've got a heart to reach your fraternity, but you feel like it's just me. It's just me and him, and like the, the odds are not anywhere close to fair. You want to reach your sorority, and you think, man, we are way outnumbered here. You think, man, I, I want to be a witness for Jesus at work, but it's really just a couple of us. Or there's 350 of us in the room, and yet there's a campus of tens of thousands of people. Like, sometimes we just feel like it's all up to us, and that we just don't have much of a shot. Can you relate to that? Well, if you read on your own in 1 Kings chapter 6, Elijah says, wait a minute here. We actually have more on our side than they do on theirs. And I kind of imagine the servant going, okay, one, two, and an army. And then Elisha says, okay, God, open his eyes and let him see. 1 Kings 6 says, the man's eyes were opened and he could see that the hillside around him was surrounded with fiery chariots. There was a spiritual army around Elijah and Elisha. You may think, it's just me. It's just the two of us. It's just CSF and the other campus ministries on campus whom we're huge fans of. No. The truth is, God is with us, and he's at work. Before you ever think, I should really talk to her in my dorm. I should really mention that to my friend. God's been at work ahead of you. No matter how dark you feel like campus can get, there are more forces on our side than there are on theirs. In fact, I don't know if you noticed it, but in Matthew 28 in that commission, before Jesus ever says, I'm empowering you to go, he says something that's really important. And then after he says, I'm empowering you to go and invite, he says something else that's really important. They're almost like brackets or bookends. Before the commission, Jesus says, all authority on, and here's what I'm doing with it. 
I'm sending you out to invite. I know UK thinks they can tell you what you can and can't do. They don't have all authority. I know your boss thinks they can and can't, and they can tell you what to do at work. You should really listen to them at work. They don't have the ultimate authority. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, I have all authority, and one of the things I'm doing with that is I'm empowering each of you to go and invite. And then do you remember what he said after that? And surely, you're in it alone. Surely, good luck, it's all up to you. No, surely I am with you until the very end of the age. We don't think we're at the end of the age yet. We're still here today, right? So Jesus is with you every time you go. Even if you look out and you say, man, I'm afraid I'm in this alone and the odds aren't good. God says, no, no, I'm with you. And I've got all the power and all the might and all the strength you're going to need to go and tell others who I am and what I've done. That's the first story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. You should definitely look at that. The second story actually kind of pops up later in the same chapter. The king finally figures out, hey, wait a minute. Maybe instead of trying to ambush Israel, I should just straight on attack a city. So he he picks a city of Samaria, and he decides to starve them out and blockade them. And I think we did have this slide. There we go. We're missing part of it. It's okay, really. Here's the good thing. You can plan all you. This is true about inviting people to Jesus. You can plan all you want. God doesn't need your plans. You can have the best slides or the best sales pitch or the best conversation start. He doesn't need it. So you'll look at it on your own. Here's 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, The king finally decides to blockade and siege the city of Samaria. And things get really tight. The food runs out. I was in Costco the other day, and there was not a single roll of toilet paper in Costco. That's a problem. Can we just agree? When the toilet paper's gone, that's a problem. We've all experienced year. You've not experienced anything close to what the city of Samaria was going through. We do have this, which is, no, we actually don't have that verse. You should read it for yourself. It's in there. The scripture says that they ran out of food, and it got to the point that a donkey's head, which meant they'd already eaten the rest of the donkey, just the head was selling for two pounds of silver. Now, I've never eaten a donkey's head, but I can't imagine there's a lot of meat on there. you probably got some good jaw muscles and brains. Two pounds of silver. And people were scraping up dove droppings and using it as fuel, and that, like, costs silver, too. But that's nowhere near how bad it was. We actually have kind of the darkest part of the scripture we do have. 2 Kings chapter 6, around verse 26. A woman comes and she says to the king of Israel, help me. And he answers, if the Lord doesn't help you, how can I help you? I can't give you something from the threshing floor or the wine press. And the king asked her, what's the matter? And listen to her answer. She answered, this woman told me, give up your son and let's eat him today. And she did it. And then she said, we'll eat my son tomorrow. My problem is that we boiled my son and ate him But the next day I told her, all right, give up your son. And she said, we'll eat him. But she hit him. Like, that's how dark it was. That's how difficult it was. Like, there's just no hope. Now, if you read the whole chapter on your own this week, you'll find another really interesting wrinkle in there that I honestly don't have time for. If this is on a screen, we're going to have a jump cut to 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. And we meet... Four very unlikely heroes in the story. They're four diseased men 
who actually are kind of just inside the protective gates of the city, but likely because of their disease, they're not allowed into the city. And they're trying to figure out um, what they should do. And here's kind of the plan that they come up with. I think we've got this. There it is. Four men with skin diseases were at the entrance of the city gate. And one of them asked, why are we sitting here waiting? City, the famine is also there and we'll still die. But if we stay here, we'll die. So here's the idea. Like this is the sales pitch. Let's go to the Aramean camp. And if they give us something to keep us alive, we'll live. But if they kill us, we'll die anyway. So they started out at dusk to go into the Aramean camp. And when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. All right, now remember, thousands of years ago, no artificial light source. Like when it got dark, it was dark. And so they wander out at dusk as the light is fading. And they think they're either going to find a sword running them through or something for their belly. But instead, they find the entire enemy's camp empty. And the horses are there. And the tents are there, and the food is there. And it's there because God was at work ahead of them. Second Kings tells us what God was doing. The Lord had made the Aramean army hear what sounded like chariots, horses, and a large army. The Aramean soldiers said to one another, The king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. He sent for reinforcements. He paid somebody to come fight us. So at dusk, they just fled. They abandoned the camp as it was with its tents, horses, and donkeys, and ran for their lives. Now, isn't it possible that what really scared them off were those chariots and horses of fire that Elisha had seen a little bit earlier in the chapter? Yeah, God's at work. So these four desperate men come out, and they find everything they need, and they just start to feast. When the men with the skin diseases came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, ate and drank, and carried off the silver, gold, and clothes they found in that tent. They met their immediate needs, like, yes, food, beverage. And then they started to think, what about our future? Man, here's gold, here's silver, here's valuable items. Let's just start stockpiling it. Then they came back, went into another tent, carried off its contents, went away, and hid them. Now, you and I have never wandered into an enemy, but I have a hunch that we've had a similar experience if you're in the room tonight. There's a chance you're at least on the way to having that experience because you came to Jesus out of desperation or out of curiosity. There was some hunger in you, and you found not only what you were hungry for, but so much more. You came full of guilt, and you found grace, and then you found community and mission, and friendship, and love, and joy, and peace. And and like me, you've just been filling up. And if we say, hey, listen, guys, we're, we're pretty well taken care of at this point. Let's go tell somebody else. I think there's a fear that manifests for us, and it's this, which we have on the slide. We'd probably say, if I said, hey, why don't you go invite somebody, you might say, well, they, they just probably won't be interested. They might even say, I know that works for you, I know that's your thing. I don't need it. I know you believe that. I don't believe that. Yeah, they're probably not going to care. They're probably not going to say yes. At best case, maybe they'll just humor me and be polite, but they're never going to show, right? They're just not going to be interested. This is what happens next in 2 Kings chapter 7. Then they said to one another, after they went from tent to tent to tent, they stopped and they had this moment of clarity. They said, what we're doing is not right. 
This is a day of good news, and we're not telling anyone about it. Like, we have found what everybody needs, and there's enough for everybody, and we're only worried about us. And they start to think, hey, man, the sun's coming up in a while. And what happens when the watchmen on the wall look out and see that we're out here feasting while everybody else is starving to the point that they're literally eating children? Like, this is a day of good, like, we need to invite everybody to come and get everything they need. So they called the city gatekeepers and told them, we went to the Aramean camp and we didn't see or hear anyone. The horses and donkeys were still tightly as they were. Here's the truth. You may think people are not interested, that they can't relate to why you have found so much life in Jesus or why you might be on the way to finding so much life in Jesus, but the truth is that everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. You may be thinking, look, I'm the only one who is abused. It's not true. Your story is somebody else's story. You might be thinking, look, I'm the only one with body image issues or eating eating disorders. Not true. Your story is somebody else's story. You might be thinking, I'm the only one whose parents died on me or abandoned me. Not true. Your story is somebody else's story. You might be thinking, I'm the only one who struggles with porn. And then you came to porn shift night on Monday and you found not true. Your story is everybody needs Jesus. Whatever drew you, you have a roommate, you have a classmate, you have people in this room who have the exact same story. They were not the only four starving people in the city. Everybody needed what was there. And here's the beautiful thing. With Jesus, there's enough for everybody. You can get grace and healing and hope and restoration, and it doesn't mean none is left for the person next to you. What he does for you, he can do for him and do for her. And the good news just keeps on going. You may think, ah, they don't think they need him. The truth is they do. They may not know that yet. They may not realize that yet. But the deep ache and wound in their souls, he came to heal. He came to save. He came to forgive. This is a day of good news. Are we actually telling anybody? Because what we're discovering or what you've already discovered is what campus needs. Jesus is what Lexington needs. Jesus is definitely what America needs. It's what the whole world needs. So, that's why we have dirty laundry. And, And one of the beautiful things about dirty laundry is it's a perfect opportunity to say to people around you, why don't you come listen to Christians be really honest? Why not in God's healing and goodness and restoration and power? Why don't you come and... You, you can just decide for yourself. You can hear what Jesus has done for other people, and then you can make up your own mind about whether that's something you think you need. There's a quote about evangelism or inviting other people to Jesus I've always loved. It's this, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. It's four diseased men finding a whole camp full of food and saying, there's enough for everybody. It's a few hundred students whom Jesus is in the business of healing and saving and forgiving and maturing, saying, hey, if he did it for me, he can do it for you, right? And we believe that so much so that I want to invite four friends up. Jared, Stephen, Claire, uh, Emily, why don't you guys come on up? Let's grab some stools. You guys can make them feel welcome. you. 
We asked these folks to come um, because they have been on a journey. Actually, that's me. This is you. There we go. They have been on a journey for a while of figuring out, like, how to do this invitation thing. Um, I, we simply asked our staff team, hey, in our student body, who are some folks who really lean into inviting others to come see about Jesus? We actually got a lot of names, which means a lot of you could have been sitting up here talking, but these are the four folks we picked. This is Claire, Emily, Jared, and Stephen. Would you thank them for coming out? So uh, I asked them this week, like they actually did preparation to be up here tonight. I sent them a list of questions, and they didn't send me back like one word or one sentence answers. Like some of them wrote paragraphs, and they really are excited to talk to you tonight. So uh, here's the first question I thought we would be curious about. Um, Does telling other people about Jesus, inviting other people to come see about Jesus, is that something we're good at? Or um, is it something you've learned? Does it make you nervous when you are ready to talk to somebody about Jesus? Jared, you're nodding. Why don't you start? All right, sure. Hey, everybody. Um, So yes and no is what I would say. Um, So I can really talk to Jesus with my friends and people I don't know at all. I feel like I'm like really good at that. But it's really hard when it's like people you kind of know that are in your class, like you sit next to and you know their name and... But, like, it's just kind of awkward, you know? So in that term, like, I do get nervous. Um, And I think one way to, like, overcome those nerves is to, like, seriously think about, like, what what that stems from. Like, having a period of time to reflect and, like, ask God. Like, bring, bring what it stems from to God and ask him to help fix that for you. So you would actually pray, God, tell me why I'm nervous about this. Right. Like, reveal it to me. Yeah, like, what exactly about talking to this person makes me uncomfortable or nervous, and how can I fix that? like it. How could he be with you in it, right? Yeah. Somebody else. Does this come naturally for you? Um, Do you still get nervous? What do you do about that? Um, I would say the first time that I went out and evangelized in public, I was really nervous. But just getting over the first time... I just realized, like, dang, the Holy Spirit is going to give me the words, and it's not my name that's being glorified, so, like, I'm not going out here to tell people the gospel so that they think highly of me or they remember me, but it's to have God's name glorified, so whether they remember anything I say or if they think better of me doesn't matter because we want God to be glorified. You realize it's not my job to convince them, right? Yeah, you can clap for God being glorified. That's a worthy thing, yeah. Um, Steven, do you want to get on that one? Uh, yeah, for me, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely nervous. Like, I'd be the first to admit, I'm more of an introverted person by nature. So just approaching someone with the gospel is like, that's intimidating for me. But something that, like, I read this in a book uh, a while back, and I've just kind of, like, taken it to heart. Like, uh, evangelism is like a spirit consistently, like, working that muscle out. Like, you're not consistently approaching people, talking about it then you're not going to be you're not going to be as willing to want to talk about it. So for me like the more consistent I am about like talking about Jesus with other people, the more willing and open I'm going to be to continue to walk that out. In that way it sounds like any other part of the spiritual life. Like the more I pray, the better I get at praying. The more gener- the more I give, the more generous I grow, right? Mm-hmm. The more I invite, the more invitational I become. How about you Claire? I don't want to cut you out of loop. Um, evangelism scares the crap out of me, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, first time, um, palm sweaty, knees weak, 
Um, arms are heavy. <laughs> uh, truly, I was petrified. Um, and then people who were so close with the Lord would be like, listen to the Holy Spirit, which is so true. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, all right, like, come on, like, tell me. <laughs> and then I'd be like, nothing. And then God was like, you can't expect to know my voice if you don't read my word. Mm. And I was like, oh, that hurt. And um, I honestly, what's helped is truly falling in love with the Lord first and then allowing the obedience to follow. Because if you place the obedience as the foundation of what you do, like that will quickly crumble. Um, yeah. So it's out of your love for the Lord that you're doing this, right? Not to gain his love, but because you love him, right? Yeah. Um, I really wouldn't expect anyone to evangelize unless they love the Lord. Like if they didn't, I'd be like, wow, like you're really, you're really going for it. But it became more natural once I actually loved the Lord. And I was like, God, like we can so do this. Still get nervy sometimes, but it all works out. I like it. So you guys have, as Stephen kind of said, you've been practicing this for a while, building this muscle. Um, do you feel like you've learned anything about talking to people about Jesus, inviting them to, to explore him for themselves, inviting them to things like dirty laundry, learn from you? Yeah. So I, Claire kind of stole the words out of my mouth. I mean, like, it's fine. But um, I think that's so true of that. It like starts with your relationship with the Lord. Like, I think if I had to define evangelism, it would be like someone acknowledging that the Lord has moved in their life and them sharing that with other people. Um, like, I think it goes back to like when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love God. And then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. I think the order of that is really important. Like as Christians, our job is to love Jesus and to love like Jesus to the others around us. And I think we can't love like Jesus if we don't love Jesus first. Um, like when I look, yeah, when I look back at like my story, like in high school, I wanted to serve in every possible way. Oh my gosh, there's a moth or something. That's so fun. Um, <laughs> like in high school, I wanted to serve a bunch in like every way and I didn't take intentional time to like spend with the Lord. And so I was pouring out of an empty cup rather than letting God fill up my cup so much that it overflowed to the people around me. Um, yeah. So I think what you said is, is you have to learn to be with God before you can do things for God. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Retweet okay. that. That's so, good. yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's good. How about you, Stephen? Yeah. I, I think something I've really learned is kind of just the way I view people, like, from, like, not a worldly mindset, but a heavenly mindset. Because I think I'm very guilty of it, like, far too often just, like, walking, like, through campus, just, like, seeing people and, like, having those, like, instant thoughts that come to our head. Like, whether that just be judgment or just, like, a random thought that has like, nothing to do with, like, them as a person or, like, the fact that they're, like, God's, like, like, God's creation. So I think for me, like, viewing people through, like, a heavenly mindset and not a worldly mindset where it's, like, okay, like, this person, like, they need the gospel just as much as I do just because I don't know them or I don't know their story. Like, why am I hesitant or why am I having these judgmental thoughts about them? Like, they need to hear about Jesus just as much as I do. So for me, it's just, like, looking at people through those lenses and not through my own, like, uh, sinful lenses, in a sense. Another person that God doesn't love, that Jesus didn't die for, right? And so you trying to just remind yourself, God, help me, almost that prayer that, it, that the prophet prayed, God, open his eyes that he could see. Yeah. What if we began to pray, God, open our eyes so that we see people the way you see them? 
Not right. as the not sorry. As, yeah. I think it yeah. also puts in his perspective like this is like e- like eternal life is on the line. Like that's crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. It's good. <laughs> yeah, another really good analogy I've heard is if like your friend was standing in front of a train and the train was coming and they didn't see the train, but you knew you could say like, hey, get out of the way, the train's coming. Why would you not tell them the train's coming? The same thing is like eternal judgment is going to come on all of us and we have the answer. Like. We have been saved and we have been known by the God of creation. So, like, why would we not share the best news, the best glorious news with every person we come in contact with? That's good. And I think the beautiful thing about that is we're not only talking about people's eternities. We're talking about life now. Jesus said, I come that you could have life, have it abundantly. It starts here. It lasts forever. Mm -hmm. Right? So people could start today. They don't have to wait until heaven to know Jesus. Right? How about you, Claire? Do you want to get in on that? Um, so the biggest thing really is, um, not coming in with the intent to convert. Like, that's not like they're like, oh, like, we don't do anything. Like, it's true. Like, we suck. We can never save someone. But what I mean by that is if you have this intention, like, I'm going to see them convert and it's going to be amazing. And then that puts so much pressure on you to answer every single question right and then the whole time you're like, um, um, well, I don't know how old the earth is, and I don't know, I just, I just believe that he rose, and then it just goes downhill. So um, I just say, like, don't come in with criticism, but coming in with compassion, kind of like what they were saying. Um, I think that when we do come in with criticism, or we're like, yeah, we're gonna, he's going to like convert, you don't see that then the devil can really twist that so easily. Or if you do evangelize and you do see the fruit, then you're like, yeah, like I'm on good terms with God, which is so not how it works. And for so many years I saw that and I was like, wow, I evangelized today. Like the Lord is so pleased with me. Um, But that would be putting a condition on his love. Um, I had another thought, but I kind of forgot it. I like it. I, I, what I'm taking out of what you guys are saying is like we, rem- we have to remember our part in the process. Like It's their journey. It's God's kingdom. It's his gospel. We're there to walk alongside people. We're not going to change anybody's mind. I certainly can't answer every question. You're not alone. Um, but our job is to love people and be Jesus representatives, right? Light and salt here in this world and, and, and not try to play a role that we can't play. I was in the hospital room for the birth of both of my children. I didn't have a big role in that process, but I saw new life come about twice. And I saw my wife and the child and the doc, and I was there and I was cheering and trying not to pass out. But um, in a sense, I would say we're like spiritual midwives, like God's giving birth to life and we're there to help, um, but we, we play a small role, right? Fred, I wanted to add, I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given, I heard in an interview with Pastor X, who is a pastor in the Middle East, where Christianity is just spreading like wildfire. You should check it out if you haven't already. But he said that discipleship starts from the moment that you meet someone. I feel like here we hear the word discipleship. We think about when someone has been born again and come to Christ. But in the Middle East, from the second they meet someone, they start discipling them. Um, and so I've just started talking to like my family and friends and coworkers who aren't believers the same way that I would talk to a brother or sister in Christ. And that's really just redefined my relationship with them. 
Um, and I want to be there to listen to them and to offer them advice. But to me, the only, like, the answer for everything that will solve everything is the love of Christ. So it's cool to be that person who they come to to listen to um, and just for a shoulder to lean on. But, like, dang, I get to offer them the best piece of advice and, like, the answer that does save. That's good. All right. Um, from each of you, just one word of encouragement or something. Um, if we said, okay, we're in, like, God's going to help us, we're going to do it, what would you send us out with tonight? Like, what should we remember? What do we need to lean into other than maybe what we've heard already? Yeah, so something that was told to middle school, Jared, um, was um, we have a God of comfort, but not a God of comfort zones. And that's really stuck with me throughout the years of like, God is probably going to call you out of your comfort zone, which is not always fun. Like, it's not the best thing to do all the time, but it can always be super rewarding. And so I think, like, we talked about up here, like, the Holy Spirit is your friend and, like, will really help you. Like, if you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Like, that's crazy to think about. Like, in me? Yeah, like, that's crazy. Come on. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Like, pray to the Holy Spirit and, like, ask the Holy Spirit to help you talk to people. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Um, I would say, kind of like Claire, like, not getting in the mindset of, like, oh, I have to evangelize just for, like, um, like a works thing, but really seeking God's word because like the more that I have read the word of God and fell in love with the word of God, just the value um, and the call of evangelism has become a lot more prevalent in my life because it's just like all over scripture. Jesus says, go and tell, like go and tell what I've done. Um, so I just encourage you to like dive into the word and like seek out where God has called people to go and tell and encourage people to follow him. It's good. Yeah, think about uh, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, like, I did not come to, like, preach the gospel with, like, elegant words, like, lest the power of the cross be emptied. I butchered, like, the actual verse, but, like, the message there is, like, what matters. Like, nothing I say what's going to do anything in somebody's heart. Like, at the end of the day, all we can do is just be willing to go where the Lord has called us. Like, even if we don't say the right things or we leave a conversation feeling like, I didn't do crap there. Like, it's not about us. And the Lord's going to take whatever he wants from what we've said and speak through it into somebody. So my encouragement there is just, like, even if you feel very unequipped, like, at the end of the day, like, that's not really going to matter because the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to want to do. So, Yeah, God has a long track record of using very imperfect people. It's actually what he likes to do. So it's good. How about you, Claire? Have the last word. Um, uh, <laughs> or don't. Okay, no, like it's in here. I just kind of, there it is. So, <clears throat> um, honestly, my go-to is just ask questions. Yes. Um, it's actually in communication. All my con majors. <laughs> okay. Um, like the, the key focal point of a good listener is someone who asks questions to understand and one of the worst things you can do in evangelizing is not understanding where they're coming from. Uh, so this could really help if you understand, like, other religions. Or if you don't know other religions coming into it, then ask them about theirs. Like, you're not going to evangelize the same way to a Mormon as you would an atheist or to an agnostic or a Unitarian. Mm -hmm. But um, I think asking questions to understand where they're coming from, how they've been burned by the church, um, really going back to the having compassion for them, 
because I don't want to listen to someone who's like, no, no, you're wrong, you're horrible, no, stop. Because then I'm just like, okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> um, and the first prayer I prayed that was a trajectory for my faith with the Lord uh, was break my heart for what breaks yours. And that really pushed me to put that into action and be like, wow, I, my heart breaks for people who are walking on this path and don't see how fatal it could be to not know God. Um, and then lastly, as children of God, um, accepting, believing Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, uh, we gain the Holy Spirit, right? And so with that, we have spiritual gifts. The last one on my list is evangelism, but the Lord has done something um, in that. And so I really encourage you guys that if you don't know what your spiritual gift is or you know what it is, but you're not doing it with it, Sorry to tell you that like it's a little stagnant and it's not giving any glory to the Father if you're just not going to use it or do anything with it. So I want to encourage you to try and figure out what that is. So many people in this place can help you too. Um, but once you know what that gifting is, really lean into the Lord and learn how you can glorify God with it. Because if you're not, then you're making a gift turn bad and it's for no one's good. It's just sitting there. So, yeah, it's like a waste of and Christmas is coming up, and I, um, <laughs> but, yeah. All right, would you all thank them, please? <laughs> yeah. You guys take them off. Okay. Hey, I've asked, uh, I've asked if these folks would kind of come back up front after we finish tonight, and it may be that something one of them said kind of hits you, and you have questions, or you want to hear more. Or maybe you just related, and so uh, they're willing to hang around the front for five or ten minutes, and um, whether you catch them tonight or you catch them another time, you may also have somebody sitting next to you that is also really good at inviting, and so uh, don't miss the chance to learn from them as well. Hey, uh, we're going to ask the band to come back up, and as they are, I want to come back um, to this, this passage that was read as we got ready to, to jump into teaching tonight. Jesus went to all the towns and villages. He taught in the synagogues and spread the good news of the kingdom. He also cured every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them. They were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is large, Lord, who gives this harvest to send workers to harvest his crops. If you read the next chapter, the same people Jesus tells to pray for workers, he sends out. So in essence, Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to pray. God, send me. There's a big harvest. It's ready. He's just waiting on us to invite. So who are you inviting? Keep that in mind as we worship tonight.